0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. I'm Emma Gannon and today's guest is Helen Whittaker. She is a journalist and an author living in London. She was formerly the Entertainment Director of Glamour UK, which is where I met her when I worked at Glamour. Her day job now is currently Deputy Editor of High Life magazine, the British Airways magazine. And she also writes books in her spare lunch hours, in the evenings, in the mornings, in any free time she has around parenting. I'm always impressed by Helen and I'm often asked as I have written a book on careers and productivity by parents how to make time for writing and getting side hustles done and I don't really feel like I'm best placed to answer that specific question seeing as I don't have any children myself. So I wanted to get Helen on to talk about that, how to make time to write when you have so much stuff going on and you don't feel like you ever have any time to yourself. So I hope you enjoy this episode we talk about finding time we talk about her debut novel the school run which came out this year and we talk about the other novel that she's got on the way soon and she's doing it all again scraping together the bits of time that she has i hope you enjoy it if you do please leave a rating or a review on itunes it really really helps boost it in the charts and i will see you next week welcome helen whittaker to my podcast I'm Hi. So excited to have you. I was actually listening to you on James and Joe's podcast the other day.
1: Ah, so, my other podcast that I've been on.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I'm plugging another podcast. We are old colleagues, former colleagues from Glamour, and it's wonderful to see your
1: novel doing so well. Thank you, my debut novel. You're like an old hand at books now.
0: Well, no, not novels, Geez, But we'll get on to that because I can't wait to talk to you more about the school run, which is out now. Just peddling back a bit, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your job before what you're doing now because you were like the person in the office who always had the good stories and I feel like you're so (laughs) observational and you'd always have like not gossip but just like oh my god this happened and you were the entertainment director at Glamour at Condé Nast so I just wondered if in a nutshell you could explain to the listeners like what that job consisted of at the time
1: yes so I was entertainment director at Glamour for seven years up until about two years ago when it went digital first and it was a really fun job it was like the funnest job a very fresh job, but essentially it involved booking the cover stars for Glamour every month and all the celebrity and entertainment content for the magazine. So wrangling PRs, discussing locations, makeup artists, who we're going to have on the cover, why we're going to have them on the cover, can we get that person on the cover, all that sort of thing. But basically the one page of the magazine that if you don't book someone it's going to be really obvious. You can't just replace it with a different feature. We need to get a famous person.
0: You would also do a lot of profiles of the cover stars, like or you'd yes. interview really big names in the magazine.
1: Yes, that was like the fun bit for me. I always really liked doing profile interviews, interviewing people. Obviously, when it was someone that you absolutely adored, like Amy Poehler. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, you just had to try not to fangirl too much and be a professional interviewer, but then lapse at the end to like, oh, my God, I love you.
0: (laughs) Do you think think there's a myth that people in those jobs who do get to meet these people are like best friends with them? When sometimes in reality, you're like, oh, I'm just like, can I have your phone number? (laughs)
1: I mean, 99% of the people you interview are just really professional. They know they're there to do a job. You know you're there to do a job. You want the pictures to look amazing because that's what glossy magazines are about. And you want to get something revealing, but also respectful most of the time. It depends what kind of magazine you work for, obviously. But we worked for a glossy mag, and we put people on the cover that we actually really loved and respected. So we weren't looking to get like the dirt on them. Mm -hmm. We wanted to know about their careers. We wanted to know about their sense of humour. We wanted to know about all the stuff they. Were interested in
0: yeah and it was such a focus on the work that they were making as well which I really liked it was more focused on what they'd created
1: I yeah felt. definitely I mean I think most magazines are going down this road now glossy magazines is that the women who are buying magazines, that's why they like them, it's because of what they're doing and they don't really want to know that much about their personal lives. I mean, you can find that stuff out if you want to, but I think yeah, the the reason everyone loves Amy Poehler is because she's hilarious and because she's done all these amazing things and also because she is slightly indiscreet when it comes to, you know, funny stories about people. You just have to look at her Golden Globes introductions where they're Mm -hmm. having a bit of a dig at all the people in the room and the people in the room love it because they love getting roasted by someone funny. (laughs) Oh my god, those two, Tina Fey and Amy
0: Poehler Amazing. It's funny, I don't know if you read in the Times actually a piece about Olivia Coleman on the cover of Vogue and how something about how women these days don't want worthy woke content and actually we just want to like look at pretty pictures and I was like wow that's a
1: hot take.
0: All I will say is I (laughs) thought that was a
1: hot take too but it wasn't untypical of the writer.
0: I just wondered because you obviously work in magazines still now and you work at High Life. Yes. Which is such a great magazine and I just wondered do you have any sort of perspective on like the industry at the moment—are you just hoping that things like sort themselves out in some way? Because it's print is such a special thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, this has been going back years and years now. When I first started in journalism, I would say I was probably the last generation of people getting into journalism where it still felt like there was a path up the ladder. But even as I was climbing up the ladder, they were taking rungs out on the way up. So it used to be you'd go from editorial assistant to junior features writer to features writer to deputy features editor. And I think in the time I started at InStyle magazine, they'd start getting rid of the features writer and then they'd get rid of the junior writer. And then you're like, okay, so it's editorial assistant to deputy features editor. That's quite a long bit of experience in between those two things. And so it all all the teen mags started shutting down when I first started in magazines. It's yeah, I mean, it's a myth that anyone on a magazine sees another magazine in the same genre shutting and thinks, "Oh, hooray! Like Cosmo will be gutted that Marie Claire has c- closed. Red magazine will have been upset when Glamour closed." It was that kind of. Mm. There's a lot of solidarity and support because it's bad for everyone. Those readers don't just automatically start buying another magazine. It's different markets and things. Definitely. So it is really hard. It's really sad because I mean, I love magazines. That's the thing. I've always wanted to write for magazines, mm.
0: and also being a writer who. My- might want to pitch for magazines. It's like the list is just getting so much shorter now. Yeah, or like who can I even write for? And then you kind of have to find different ways to make it work. But you've got a column for Sheer Lux about. Yes parenting but it's also like a bit wider scope than that isn't it how
1: do you find your ideas every week well it's monthly actually so not, oh, is it? not so much pressure as yours i love it actually they approached me to write it and started talking about some ideas and my son is three and a half so a lot of parenting columns and blogs they concentrate on the real baby years which if you have a baby you do devour those sort of things because you're like oh my god is my child normal am i normal is this all supposed to be happening to me so this is a bit older and it's kind of a bit more wild card because there's a lot more stuff happening and it's, all, it's also to do with how I feel about things as a parent like the last one that I wrote was about what happens when your child starts making friends of their own and so you're so used to like hanging about with your own mum mates when they're babies and like being each other's life rafts of like oh let's meet for a coffee I'm going crazy in the house and then they decide that they want to be friends with someone else you're like well I don't know their mum and dad uh. <laughs>
0: Um, What if we don't get on?
1: Exactly. What if we don't get on? And B, you have to kind of do that weird sort of at preschool, you sort of sidle up to them at drop-off going, "Um, can I take your phone number? Because maybe we could set up a play date. And then you have this terrible like palpitations that you're going to get turned down. They're a bit like, oh, I'm a bit too busy to do a play date with you. And you have this like weird rejection anxiety from people you don't even know. So it's it's kind of stuff like that that's sort of parenting adjacent as well as parenting itself. That's so funny. And
0: I feel like that 100% fits into kind of the topic of the school run in terms of like the school gate and the lengths that people go for their kids to get into the right school but also all of the like ins and outs of the competitiveness of motherhood and social media and the way that we present ourselves and do they like feed into to each other I'm guessing like your real life experiences they must have got yeah. a little bit into the novel yeah
1: definitely I mean I guess it's like anything it's sometimes situations you see or something funny your kid says to you or an amalgamation of loads of people you know telling you Things. I mean, on the topic of getting your kid into the right school, I'm not there yet. We're actually starting this time, and I've got this terrible anxiety that I've like jinxed myself by writing this book about how difficult it is and what people will do, and it'd be like, no, no school place for you.
0: Whatever you do, don't do what that. Um... <laughs> That, that actress did. <laughs> yeah, <That exactly>. name.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the oh, OC. God. Laurie M- Owen. Oh, Felicity Huffman as well. Was she in the O.C.? No, the other one was. Oh, uh, right. And they she- both did it. Yeah, Felicity Huffman's just gone to prison. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, and another one. I think she's the O.C. Or she was in Beverly Hills 902. She was yeah. one of those kind of soapy shows. But yeah, there's obviously loads of weird experiences that you have that all feed in to each other. You amalgamate a lot of people's experiences. If you talk to anyone who's got kids of whatever age in any Part of the country. This isn't just London-centric. And you sort of say, "Oh, I'm writing this novel about what people will do to get school places." They will be either. I know someone who did this. I know someone who know that. I, someone I know that basically said they hated God. All of a sudden, they were sitting on the front row of the pews every week to try and get. And like the amount of stories that you get as soon as you mention that, that it's like everybody is at this in all different places around the country. So you get you yeah. get a lot of anecdotes to work with.
0: I was on Clover Stroud's Instagram the other day. Mm-hmm. She's got five children. I think she had posted something about the like private school state school thing as well and how that's a huge conversation at the moment because well she was saying that actually we're in a time where we're doing our kids a massive favor if we don't send them to a private school it's interesting
1: yeah do you think
0: well I think it was like the kind of the benefits you can get from not just being with one type of person oh yeah
1: I completely agree with that but then on the other hand you see the benefits that people who have gone to private schools get in life mm-hmm. and career and salary yeah and I, can, I can, <laughs> it can't be denied that there are uh, you know positives if you are able to send your child to a private school which I'm not the confidence you're just like delivered on a plate that's what I was going to say I went to a state school comprehensive but it was considered the best school in my town and they were very much you represent our school wherever you are if you're in the uniform it was very hammered into us that you know you had to behave a certain way and you were there but on the flip side of that was the confidence it gave you it was that slightly like well we go to the best school we are kind of and I think that is what private school gives you is that innate sense of self and I've noticed it in my working life you can tell particularly when I got to a certain level of managing people is you could tell when the assistants came in were from a private school because they just held themselves in a certain way that Mm -hmm. they weren't as afraid to ask a question or take up space or you know sort of be present whereas The girls, usually girls, I'm not being sexist, but on magazines, it's usually girls who are the editorial assistants. They would just be a little bit more nervous. And I always really felt for them because that's how I was when I first started, was that kind of, am I supposed to know this already? I don't know. Um, Am I going to look stupid if I ask this question? But also really trying to gather up all your self-confidence to do that because you really want to do well. You really want to prove that you can do well.
0: Mm. That's so, so interesting. Because I went to a state school for a few years before I went to private school, I feel like I had a taste of both, but you can't say it doesn't make a huge difference. And that's why I think it's even more impressive when someone does well <laughs> who hasn't been given that, like, boost.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, in going back to talking about magazines it's a massive massive problem that not always but often if you come from a private education your parents have more money which means into getting into jobs where you have to do internships where you're either really badly paid or not paid at all or paid expenses you can hang on the longest to get the jobs whereas the people who don't have the money can't afford to do them and if the job's not forthcoming they have to drop out and do something else and it's like making journalism magazines all the poorer for it because you just don't get the breadth of experience and backgrounds and yeah. people.
0: Yeah, no, it's so, so true. I wrote that column about how unpaid internships are mm. terrible because you get just the people that can afford it. And yeah, I do remember one intern that like walked to work to Soho from her like oh, Mayfair <laughs> mansion. <laughs> Your characters in the book, Lily and Imogen, yes. are so. Great In many, many ways. But there is a lot speckled into the novel about social media. I feel like it must be hard not to. But, you know, the things where they're like taking pictures of their kids for like more likes and like that. I'm not really in the mum, obviously, I'm not a mum, not in that sort of Instagram mum world, really. Did you like dip in more than you normally would to like get inspiration or?
1: A little bit. I think maybe more with that, because my son was younger when I first started writing the book as well. You just wrestle with that question where... How much should I put him out there? How how many pictures should I put? It's not up to him if I put him on social media or not. And obviously you're like this proud mum who wants to show your kid off and particularly to like, you know, family who you don't see very often on Facebook or whatever. At the same time, do I want to blitz social media with pictures of my kid? And then you put a picture, you know, you do the kind of He's here, the birth announcement thing. And you get like 150 likes, which you've never got before because, you know, not that exciting on Facebook. And so it is a bit of a, you know, you get a bit of a buzz from it, I suppose. And then, yeah, I think that sort of conflict between how much you, you put out there. And I'm sure most parents wrestle with this as well.
0: Yeah, because it's a, it's a new problem, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like you can't ask your own parents, like, oh, what did you do? They're like, well, you're in a photo album at home. Exactly. I haven't put your face on YouTube. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Gosh, an entirely I know. whole different world. Oh, my God.
0: And the whole, I mean, this is maybe slightly more extreme as well, but the whole, like, turning your child into sponsored content.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the other thing. I mean, no one cares that much about me, so <laughs> it's not, not going to happen. But, I mean, people do it and they have their reasons for doing it. But, I mean, it's difficult not, as an outsider from it, it's difficult not to see a lot of it as the sort of modern-day equivalent of your kid being a Disney kid because the family's money income is often reliant on this YouTube sensation child and people want ever more content in inverted commas and that the content is your child so it's kind of
0: did you see that uh, YouTube family had released merch and one thing that you could buy was a toy doll replica of the baby
1: no I didn't see that. (laughs) My son watches some videos on YouTube and there's like a little boy who he's got all these toys, which is already like mind blowing to him that he's got all these toys. But obviously he gets all these toys because he gets sent all these toys because he's this massive YouTube sensation. It's mind boggling. But yeah, the social media thing is definitely, I just think it's such an aspect of modern parenting that you can't get away from. Because even if you don't do it, you've deliberately opted out of doing it. So it's a choice. So it's one of those things that, yeah, our parents didn't really have to deal with that it was I mean you barely ever took any pictures anyway because film was so expensive yeah you'd have like three different family holidays on the same film because your dad would never waste the end of the film to just get rid of it to send them off for processing it's
0: so true (laughs) and also I'm really glad that you did just say like you know the 150 lights thing does make you feel good because I feel like sometimes we brush over the fact that social media can make us feel something when we get attention or we feel connected and actually we chase those
1: moments and it's like quite human to do that. Yeah, I don't put that many family pictures up on Instagram. I put a few on Facebook, but I definitely, the most posts I ever did on Facebook was when I was on maternity leave and when I'd really not seen or spoken to anybody really that day, except for the baby, because then you kind of knew that some people would like it and you'd feel like a bit connected yeah. to people. So it was it's weird. I could sort of track my sort of loneliness, isolation, maternity leave journey on <laughs> Facebook where I put a picture up and I'm like, oh, some people, are, they're in contact with me. It's not just me and the baby all day on our own.
0: Yeah, totally. So I wanted to ask you something because I was actually on a panel the other day mm. and it was about the multi-hyphen method and side hustles, et cetera. Yes, And someone asked me, do you have any advice for me as a new mum to make time for something I want to work on, like a book? And I was just like... I don't know. I don't think I can answer this question. I'm not a mother. And I I honestly don't know what that is like. But my friend Helen, (laughs) she's just had a book out called The School Run. And she has a baby and she kind of made time for this novel somehow. And she has a full time job and has only recently gone down to flexible working. I don't have the answers, basically. And so I was like, oh, I can ask Helen, Ah. (laughs) like,
1: on the podcast. I think it's Because I don't want to be one of those people who's like, well, I did it so anyone can do it. Because it's bloody hard, that's the thing. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I know what you mean um, by that. A, I think equal parenting is non-negotiable if you want to carve out any time for yourself. So I'm not going to say the father helping so that you can write your book no father parenting the same amount so that if they have a hobby they get to do their hobby and if you have a hobby which might be writing a book you get to do your hobby too so that so you know the odd saturday or evening or bit of time where you can just say okay this is what i'm going to do in the same way you might say i'm going to go meet my friend for lunch next week you'd be like i need three hours clear off and I want to be in the house by myself and get my laptop out or go to a coffee shop wherever you would like to go. I mean personally the way I did it was when I went back to work I went back four days a week one day with my son and four days in the office at Glamour and our childcare starts at 8am and my job started at 9.30am which meant that when I dropped him off at 815 I could go back home for 30 minutes and write and then get the tube and go to work so four days a week I could get 30 minutes which meant really hustling about the house like we're going we're going as if this is like a non-negotiable deadline and then going home and for me knowing I only had 30 minutes really focused my mind I know some people just a the morning isn't good for them but evenings are terrible for me so I'm just like a zombie on the sofa in the evening yeah I'd have 30 minutes and I'd be like so desperate to just Right, I'm not saying that what I wrote was any good but I just got it down and already had an idea in my head of where it was going because I'd been thinking about it on the tube or whatever and then I would write and write and write and then pack it up go to work get on with my job pay my mortgage <laughs> from the day job and then do the same thing the next day and then i say odd days and things like that but it it sort of adds up if you can write 500 words a day or however much a day that's 2,000 words a week as soon as you get to about Fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 words, you're committed to it. And that's only in three weeks you can wow. get there. So it's yeah. kind of, basically, it's not easy. So that I completely sympathize with anyone who is struggling to find time. And sometimes it's not that easy. You know, your childcare doesn't start early enough. Your commute is really long and you don't get a seat. So it's not like you can sit with your laptop open and, yeah. and do it. Or, you know, your partner works really long hours. So it's, you do do all the drop offs and all mm-hmm. the pickups and all the bedtimes. It's just, but I think if you can just say sometimes, this is what I'm doing, This is, and I'd rather do this than go to my Pilates class. or whatever. You kind of have to be a bit ruthless about what you want to do with the very small amount of free time that you have, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, it's so good to hear that because sometimes I think we're, like, sold this weird myth that you need, like, a stretch of time, you know, you need to go away for a week and start your novel, and it's yeah. just not the case, is it? It's, like, snatched bits of time. And, and I
1: always think of, um, I'm going to completely misquote her but Catelyn Moran always talks about, Writer's block, and she basically says she's never really had it because she's always needed to get paid. You know, she has she writes two columns a week, I think, and you know all that sort of stuff. And I think she's kind of if you've got writer's block, you just just keep writing, <laughs> just keep doing. And so, I mean, sometimes I'm not comparing myself to Catlin Moran, by the way, listeners. But um, similarly, sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, I know this is terrible, I know this is going nowhere. It's not going to end up being used for my potential next book but if I keep writing long enough and get through this terrible moment then I'll get back to something that is usable and workable and just keep going but yeah I find sometimes if I've got a long stretch of time I actually just faff about more put a wash on start doing all the things that I feel like I should be doing at home when actually you know that's my time for writing. Yeah, it's so true. It's like a muscle, isn't it? Like you just
0: the more you do it, because I feel like you have been writing in your spare time so much that it must feel like not an easier thing, but that you just know I can get these words down now.
1: Yeah, as I say, it's... (laughs) <laughs> not always good if you read the book there's a nativity scene in the middle and it's not now because I cut it down so much but that nativity scene I felt like I was writing that forever it was so long the chapter was like thousands of words long and I was like no one needs to know this much about a nativity oh my god I'm not at it it was just I, I was like I need this nativity scene but I need it to be better than this but I just I almost have to write my way through to the other side and then go back later and cut it down and which is what I did which also is my Only other tip for people writing things. Don't keep going over the same bit over and over again because also you get a bit upset when you go from... I don't know, 5,000 words to 2,000 words. You're like, oh God, I'm back at the beginning. But when you've got to the end and you cut loads of words, it's not so bad because you've still got loads of words. <laughs> yes.
0: I've heard <laughs> lots of brilliant writers say that, that they overwrite. And I think it was even like Greta Gerwig when she was on the podcast, she said that the first draft of a film or a script that she wrote, oh yeah, it was Ladybird. Mm. She said it was like, literally like 700 pages long, <laughs> which I know sounds like a bit of a, not a humble brag, but like, oh, I just wrote so much. But what she was saying was, no, I just, I literally just, like brain farted, yeah, and then cut it down. And I'm like, that makes so much sense, mm. anyway. Talking of getting words down, yeah, you're allowed to talk about your second book, aren't you?
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> so my second book, uh, I'm trying to write it now. So I'm back in that zone of like, ah, just write things, words. Oh As we were on WhatsApp the other day, weren't we? being
0: Both being like writing stupid things. and
1: Yes, at the point where we hate what we're writing. Yeah.
0: Which is so normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yes, so my second book is about, it's set over the course of a year. It's called I Give It A Year. And at the beginning, it is a wife finds out, something bad about her husband and she has to decide whether or not she wants to stay in her marriage. Wow. And she... Gives did, herself a year? She Well, she gives them a year and they have to work on it and it's sort of... It's set in the zone. They've got two children together who are both youngish, uh, under 10 and uh, her mum's just died and her dad is on his own and she has ageing parents so it's kind of it's that sandwich of having young children ageing parents lots of stress lots of responsibility Mm. when do you find time for yourself you've been together for you know a decade and there's lots of other stuff going on in your life but you still love them and how do you make it work wow that's so relatable (laughs)
0: I'm not married yet (laughs) but you know I'm guessing that there are times where you're like we only have one life and if you're like surrounded by admin and things and duties and to-do lists yeah how do you find time for yourself and make those decisions and
1: I think yeah I mean hopefully it's one of those things where a lot of people will just relate to because also there's so many books which I love not that these are bad books but where obviously the whole thing is the boy meets girl and happily ever but I kind of wanted to look at what happens after you get you get the guy you love the guy you know he is the one as far as you're concerned but 10 years after the one then what when all the shiny stuff wears yeah, off yeah, and you you know you've got no choice you've got to deal with after school clubs and you know work and you want to get promoted but you know someone else is trying to get promoted as well and you're like oh I want that job you know your partner's doing it too and your dad's not well and you've got to you know all that sort of stuff yeah do you find
0: that these books like writing your novels about these subjects and about land like the funny angles and also the real life angles does it help you muddle through your own parenting Sorta
1: of. I mean it sparks interesting conversations like these with other people and particularly cuz I'm 40 next year so a lot of people in the same boat as me with young kids and all that sort of stuff it's more like you get people like for example with the school run ostensibly the the plot is these two women who are desperate to get a school place for their child and what will they do but I've had so many people who either don't have children or do, but the thing that they've really concentrated on in the book is the friendship and the mental load in the relationship yeah. and how the relationships of the two women are working after having children. And I think it's mm-hmm. that sort of thing that's really interesting is there's a sort of there's a device and there's a, something that moves the plot along because there's an aim and a goal and they've got something they want to do, but also that their emotional lives, people have really seemed to like that, which has been really nice to read in some of the reviews
0: definitely i mean it's funny isn't it that there seems to be this like binary of like women who have children and women who don't and like mm. they must be so different and it's like i could talk to you all day about this stuff
1: <laughs> but also i just think i mean i'm so not here for the narrative of people who don't have children don't know what true emotions are i mean
0: and that they have like all the spare time in the world well exactly
1: they've got no time and they you know they i mean they have they more can't... time i'm saying that i
0: don't want to get trolled we have more
1: time <laughs> yeah but you you know but it doesn't mean you have no responsibilities and it also doesn't mean you can't empathize with terrible things happening in the world you know as a mother that's like the, one of the worst phrases in the world as a mother i know emotions no i think as people yeah. most people know emotions <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's why I love your your writing. You really tell it how it is, but also like get to the heart of it. What are you excited about? Kind of coming up in the next few months. It can be anything.
1: Uh, I'm going to center parks next Friday. I'm oh, really fun. excited <laughs> <laughs> with my family. Turns out we love center parks. Um, I'm actually going there for the first time.
0: Actually you know, for the second time, but I, I can't remember what it's like with all my nieces and nephews. Oh, it's really fun. I'm I mean, excited. If you
1: like slides, yeah, it's amazing. Love it. Water slides. And my son is three and a half now, so I think he's big enough to go on some of the slides. So I'm excited about that. I'm. I'm excited about a assignment I'm going on for my day job at High Life, which I probably can't talk about because it's not going to be in the magazine, but I'm going on a nice trip to write what about it. Something. I know we've hardly spoken about that, but it's like such a fun, cool job. I know. I don't get to travel that much, though, because I'm in the office editing all the amazing pieces that all our freelance writers in far-flung Absolutely. destinations write for us. But I'm going on an assignment to America. Amazing. It's a bookish type thing, so I'm really excited about it. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm excited about
0: finishing my book. Yes, oh, I, I know. Is it look. is it available to pre-order?
1: It is available to pre-order.
0: Okay. Yes. Great. We'll get in there early. Listeners, thank you so much, Helen. That was so fun. Yes, thank so
1: you. nice to see you.